Hey guys, you're listening to the Clean Fashion Podcast hosted by Kalechi. We invite the hidden voices that make fashion work. We explore the full fashion supply chain, piecing together concepts and ideas beyond the aesthetics that we see and discovering how multidisciplinary fashion really is. By merging unrelated worlds together, we discuss and uncover the world of the people and processes behind some of the biggest movements in fashion. Some that get attention and others that don't, but really should. Each episode explores one of the four topics within the clean fashion cycle. Sourcing, making, the media and the afterlife. I'm Alia and I'll be your host today and I'm with Armina. On today's episode, we have Goni Chikwangere, who is a designer and founder of We Are Kin, a sustainable fashion brand that avoids subscribing to fast fashion trends by creating lasting and timeless pieces. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Just give people that might not be used to We Are Kin, can you just explain to them how We Are Kin came about? So early on in my journey as a designer, I remember the Rana Plaza disaster happening where an awful lot of people lost their lives working in unimaginable conditions in the fashion industry. And for me, that was a real eye-opening moment to how this industry that I loved and adored was actually very toxic and damaging to people and planet. And then an expose came out about a very big luxury brand burning their unsold pieces so they wouldn't end up on the secondhand market or just, you know, the rest of us get their hands on them. And I started thinking about the fact that fashion was very toxic and bad and I decided to start an ethical and sustainable fashion label. This was like six or seven years ago, back when then sustainability, people just thought of hemp and like people not washing. (laughs) And for me, it was just important right at the inception of my brand to put people and planet over profit. So I'll probably say this a lot on the podcast, but also just in day to day life, that's a real point of my brand. It's people and planet first and then everything else after. I notice as well with your brand, you talk about it being a kinship with the people that you work with. How did you source those people that you work with, your manufacturers? So when it comes to the freelancers I work with, I actually met them either working or interning in fashion. And then in terms of my manufacturer, I was actually speaking to a fabric merchant and my mum was there. (laughs) And it was very early on. And she was like, do you know anyone who can like manufacture my daughter's clothes? And he gave us this contact and we've worked with them ever since. And that's just kind of how that came about. So for me, I always say to people, ask questions it's okay when you're young and starting out in business to just ask questions people will tell you and they'll help you so that's really and truly how that came about what attracted you to using end-of-life materials for me it was important with an ethical label to also consider impact on the planet that fabric would have and so remnant fabric or dead stock fabric for us either comes from like design houses in London or fabric merchants have them where designers have ordered lots and lots of fabric and it's left over and we'll take that so I start my design process with fabric what can I get my hands on first and then I design the collection so I kind of do it backwards in a way where a lot of people in fashion will make a collection design the colors and everything else and then go source the fabric or get it made. Yeah explain to us that process then that you go through from seeing a fabric, feeling it, and then, like you said, working backwards right through to doing the design. So actually yesterday I posted, funnily enough, on Instagram, I'd found this really gorgeous roll of luxury liquid satin. And I did a little video where it was just me playing with the fabric as I would and draping it on my body and seeing how it felt. And then I kind of spoke about how, from how it felt and how it looked, it then informed the design I then made it in. So I made it into a top and a skirt and it falls beautifully. And that's kind of a really... I guess, simple way of my design journey. It's I'll see the fabric, I'll feel it, see what it's telling me and then make something for all of my customers. So I do size 6 to size 26, but we'll get on to that later, I'm sure. Also on the podcast, we have Deborah from Last John and I know, Deborah, you work as well with a lot of dead stock and end-of-life fabric. Can you explain for us as well how that process came about? Hi, everyone. Yave and I started Last John early this year. It's been uh, somewhat of a COVID journey. We kind of were working on it throughout the pandemic and just really through a belief that we need to have more, more we are kins in this world and make that something that whilst obviously everything that Gunny's saying, you know, ask questions and, and we also want to make solutions easier and more readily available to younger designers and also to designers actively already, you know, working and who don't have necessarily, you know, it's, it, it's very time consuming to source these resources. And we thought that if we could bring that all together on one site and really, you know, 
not only be somewhere where, where designers can come to source, but also be a solution to designers who have overbought to actually reshare those fabrics and, and have them, you know, take on a new life and have people like Gonnie be able to drape them into some incredible creation that can then take on a whole new story. So that was really the premise for that. It's just there is so much out there and we wanted to find a way to bring it together and, and offer it to people who can really use it and create new and beautiful things from existing fabrics and I have to say I really love your website by the way there is a fuchsia fabric that I've seen made online <laughs> has and I think you've got like 16 meters and I was so going to email you later on this week like hi can I please get that fabric <laughs> not for the brand though but for myself yeah, just, so. well, it's, it's yours <laughs> it's just uh, just send us a link later and it's yours <laughs> we'll sort thank that out. you <laughs> I think that's what's really beautiful as well is that we are taking fabrics that are still beautiful and still useful and recreating them into something new and I think that's a really lovely concept. Would you say that people sometimes have queries with maybe using end-of-life fabric? Can you maybe tell us what some of the problems with using fabrics that are getting towards the end would be? So I've been quite lucky in that I think my audience has grown with me. I've always kind of shared the journey of the brand so I actually haven't had any questions but I think questions that might come as a brand grows is more is it still good quality if it's dead stock or remnant? And it is, of course, still good quality. It's just what it's called. So I think that's probably something I will come across in the future. But for now, I think people understand it. And as consumers are getting more aware of what's out there and what sustainability actually is, they're kind of educating themselves and then coming to shop a brand like mine. But yeah, it's a great question, actually. I'm sure they're going to come. Deborah, for you, do you kind of get any types of questions about quality and the fabrics that you sell? Well, actually, to be honest, I think it's something that we sort of considered when we were starting out in this is A, that we're going to come across some fabrics that we don't consider to be the best quality or that are damaged. And is there a way that those can still be used? And we do have an academy, Last John Academy, so that we can take things that maybe aren't usable in a commercial sense and actually give those to students. So again, they can have a purpose. But on the flip side, we do try to ensure that, you know, all we know about all our suppliers, if necessary, we visit their collections. And at the moment, we're in a fortunate position where we're almost able to handpick. So we are ensuring the quality at every stage in terms of the fact that if a customer purchases from us. However, you know, just from experience myself and Goni, I'm sure you've sort of had similar experiences. You can get a roll of fabric and you unroll it and you're halfway through and suddenly there's like a huge stripe through it that wasn't meant to be there or things do happen and that's obviously a manufacturing issue but it doesn't you know it's not necessarily a quality issue but it's uh, you can't use it un- makes it unusable we haven't had that problem yet but I'm sure that at some stage we will have issues but you know we want to work with all our buyers as much as our, our suppliers to try and make the process as easy as possible and, and we do understand that with deadstock that some of these fabrics have been going back you know they've been sitting there for 20 30 they're really vintage beautiful things but um they, they haven't necessarily been unrolled for however long. So there are issues around things like that, but there's no bigger issue around anything like that than something that you produce in Italy and comes to you with, with a big fault mm-hmm. down the middle. So human error is human error at the end of the day. But I think it's it's still, you know, a really valuable resource and tremendously valuable resource, even, even when you're dealing with fabrics that we would deem cheap and not necessarily like things that we would want to bring into our collections they still have tremendous value what would you say the process of ensuring quality is do samples and like go through testing to ensure that the quality is there we know our suppliers we know our sellers so we ensure the quality and we know the fabrics we know what they produce what what their end game is whether the manufacturers mills or whether they're actually designers we do have access to see that the fabrics overall are good quality but Things do go wrong, but that's not really a dead stock issue. That's, uh, as I said, that's a human error issue, which can happen Mm -hmm. in all manner of ways. You know, you can do an order, produce a a thousand buttons in in Italy and they can all arrive and you order blue and they all arrive and they're pink, you know, and you've got a thousand pink Mm -hmm. buttons that you don't know what to do with. So with dead stock, the nice thing is that you can exchange, resell, but you haven't produced something in mass quantity that then has a problem and can't be used. And then, you know, again, sits in a warehouse for however many decades. And Goni, would you say that's the same process for you? Do you have a reliable supplier and that's what ensures quality for you? Yeah, and they tend to also sometimes when needed test the fabrics as well if they're not okay. sure of the source and things. So yeah, yeah that's but again, that comes from having built relationship mm-hmm. and a kinship. <laughs> yeah. I love that. As well, when you're 
going to create pieces and I know for you, you focus a lot on creating those timeless pieces. And maybe for consumers, we talk a lot about how people subscribe into fast fashion for trends, size inclusivity and things like that and cost. How do you kind of tackle those problems with your brand? So with We Are Kin, I tell everyone that we are inclusive in every sense of that word so we're very size inclusive so we our core make is a size 6 or 26 but we always say if you fall either side of that let us know we'll charge you the same amount we'll just make the fabric might take us a little bit longer but we will get it done for you just because there's not as much need for that but when I started it was literally like size 10 to size 18 because that's what I knew in my frame of Mm -hmm. reference then we'll actually I would like this and and then obviously we've grown to that extent but also we will hem garments if someone's shorter or taller (laughs) and all of that um, I forgot the question. How you make sure your brand is inclusive in terms of those things that yeah. people feel that fast fashion provides, mm-hmm, I yeah. guess. So we do try to explain as well why things cost more. Like I'm always like, a t-shirt should not cost £5. That is scandalous to me because what has everyone else in that chain then been paid? And again, I think, especially for a small brand, you can really explain to people why things are the way they are and they will listen. So yes. You can have a fast fashion dress for £80 or you can pay 120 for mine that's made in, in London, mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. And when you explain that to people, for the most part, they do say, OK, I'm going to save a bit more. Or yes, I'm just going to put my money on that and go for that. I love that your company focuses on producing clothing that is void of trends yeah. and fads. How do you ensure that it's still going to be a timeless piece, something that will work for yeah. a lot of people as well? For me, I think regardless of size, all women want to feel strong or beautiful or whatever that might be and if I can make it for a size 8 I can absolutely make it for a size 28 you know I think we're the same in that way but also when it comes to thinking trendless and timeless you really have to think will I wear this in 10 years time will Mm -hmm. I can I give this to my daughter and I have customers who are aged 18 I've got I've had customers who are aged 68 buying the same pieces the same length all of that so (laughs) you really just have to think about things and for me I think if you just look at the site you couldn't tell me what time certain things have come yeah. from it's just I like that and I will wear it to mm-hmm. dinner or I wear it out and all of that sort of thing. And you spoke of being a new brand and starting those relationships with manufacturers can you explain what that process was like for you when you wanted to start your brand especially being more sustainable did you find it harder to kind of get into the industry absolutely because a lot of factories deal with minimum order quantities hence why my mum ended up just asking this fabric merchant hey do you know anyone because we've been searching and searching so it was quite hard but I always say to people if you want to go to fashion it's going to be hard they're going to be a lot of no's before you get a yes and I just think I possess the kind of character where I think it will get through (laughs) and what matters to me is my morals so and the reason why I say things like people in planet over profit is that five years from now if I was to change there's so many records of me having say that people can challenge it and then the same with my relationships as well with the people that I then decide to work with I go in saying these are my values Mm -hmm. where do we match up and if we don't it's a no if we can then yes let's go yeah and Deborah for you the buyers that you have do you notice whether they are individuals buying dead stock fabric or do you get a lot of companies that come to you to source So we're pretty new. So at the moment, most of our people actually seem to be individuals. However, as we're kind of reaching our third month, we've started to notice now that we're getting people coming to us to source or coming to us just wanting larger volume. And that's really brilliant too. You know, I suppose it's it's kind of, we need customers on on all ends of the scale because we're going to get anywhere between, you know, some people who just want to sell five meters and some people who want to sell 5,000 meters or plus. So, you know, we kind of want to be in our our target group is, you know, SME fashion brands. But it's really nice to be able to start to see that we can sort of service both and work with designers as they grow. We've noticed as well from previous episodes how people say when they're new, they struggle building those relationships. So why do you think maybe that some manufacturers find it hard to appeal to sustainable brands and those newer brands that are trying to make those changes that fashion really needs to make? I think it's just they're used to working in a certain industry, getting X amount and making X amount. And so for them to then work with a brand like me where I do made to order. So (laughs) we don't know, we might have a hundred, we might have a thousand, but also we're limited by the fabric that we have. And so I think it's definitely a different way to work and manufacturers, a lot of them are dyed in the wool. The ones that are left in the UK and have been doing it for decades and decades. And so getting them to think in a new way can be difficult but I think if you're tenacious enough and all you need is one yes at the end of the day Mm -hmm. so yeah completely agree 
that's it. You just have to keep keep going. And all you need is one yes and one person that understands your business. Mm-hmm. And as Gwenny said, like the less you compromise on that stuff as well, you know, the more you're going to stay stay true to what what you want anyway. So actually, at, the more no's you get, you know, you're in the wrong place. Gwenny, for you, what is the most significant factor in ensuring that your business is both sustainable and profitable? What are some of the things that you look at to make sure that you stick within and achieve growth? I personally am okay with slightly making less than the standard profit model for a fashion brand if it means I can sleep well at night. (laughs) So for me, I think it's really important that the planet is... I've done my best by it, but also I've done my best by my customers. And then, you know, it will come. And I think over the years, as the brand has grown, it's shown that, like, it will grow. If you build it, they will come. It just won't be as instant as a fast fashion brand or a brand where I'm having pieces made, you know, in Turkey by God knows who, God knows where. And I'm paying people £2 a day and I'm selling it for £80. You know, for me, that's not the most important thing. It's having something I can be proud of but then also I have a certain amount of privilege one to have studied design two to think this way and how I see the world so yeah and would you say the end of the life of a product is something that you educate your customers on so say a wealthy I don't know someone who's frivolous Mm -hmm. with their money and they don't necessarily care about the ethics of the brand and they're just doing it yeah for the trend yeah. that it is mm-hmm. right now. Sustainable, yeah. Yeah. Is, is education something that's important to you and for your customers? Yeah. It is really important, actually. Obviously, we have all of this kind of information with when we can send out pieces on our website, but also I've started doing little videos and reels where I show you how to mend a pocket. Um, I've got a few other ideas coming up on, like, how to darn. So all these really simple skills that our grandmothers would have known that we do, or grandfathers would have known that we just don't know, I mm-hmm. think, is so important. But also... I know that my pieces are well made, so they're going to last a long time. Yeah. But it's also for people to also know that they can, if they still have fast fashion that they've had forever and it's now starting to fall apart, here's how you can fix it. And so far it's been well, I think I've done two or three, it's been well received. I'm going to keep going with those as well because information is power, knowledge mm-hmm. is power. That sounds really interesting. I think that's important as well because everyday people, they either don't have time to learn yeah. or they just don't. Where would they find ha- out? Yeah, yeah, they don't have the opportunities. So I think that's really important. I think... The word trend is a very big word when it comes to fashion. It's thrown around a lot and a lot of brands now, especially fast fashion brands, you start to see them now trying to incorporate the word eco, (laughs) recycled and stuff like that. And what do you think it's actually going to take maybe for these bigger brands to actually become sustainable? Legislation. (laughs) I I say that every time someone asks me a question. I just... They're not going to do it with their own hearts. We need to have real serious legislation on what can be allowed in fabrics. I don't know if you guys know this, but there are actually like certain chemicals in these man-made fibres mm-hmm. that can cause cancer or that can cause X, Y, Z. And again, it's women who probably are buying a lot of this stuff and it's doing a lot of damage to our systems and all of that. But I think for me, it's legislation. It needs to be legislated. The fabric, the makers you know, where it's coming from, all of that. We need serious legislation because the fashion industry is like, I think the third most profitable industry in the world. And yeah, it's so backwards in a lot of ways. And the people who deal with a lot of this fallout are women as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's crazy how long it's taken for anything to even be thinking about putting in place. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, it's such a significant part of our lives yeah. that it's just ridiculous that the government isn't making sure that it's something that's affecting yeah. us positively. Definitely. And Goni, as well, for you, you're not just mm-hmm. a designer, but you also take on that role for your brand as kind of being a role model and an influencer. So for you, outside of We Are Kin, how, as like an influencer, do you see where the fashion industry kind of needs to change and how do you look at other brands and how they work? I think, again, back to legislation we, we need even the influencer industry itself also needs legislation just because we have a lot of people doing things that are very damaging to people and planet and mm-hmm. it's just not really spoken about but for me it's important that I live by the things I say as someone who owns a brand and as someone who is 
semi-visible. So I live my life in a way where I'm proud of it. You're not going to snap me in Primark, basically. <laughs> like you're just, it's just not going to happen. And recently I sold my car because I had this big 4x4 diesel car gift from my dad from when I would go to the factory with all my fabrics. Because before I had a little Fiat 500. And the fabric, and my dad was like, if the police catch you, let me buy you a car. And I was like, actually, I've had this for a couple of years, but it makes me feel physically sick to be actively just like ruining the planet in my own little way so it's about personal responsibility but then also sharing that and being open and honest because if you say I've stopped doing this because of this people will look at that and question that I think transparency is also a really big part of it I think that also goes back down to education as well when you were studying design at uni did you kind of go through this idea of sustainability and fabrics and stuff like that no, we didn't. But funnily enough, I now go back to my university and other universities and I'm asked to talk about sustainability and all these different things. So I think we are now in a place where I think it is being taught in universities. I also hope that they start teaching fashion business in yeah. universities yeah. and a whole host of other things. I think that's kind of interesting. I feel like with my education... Mm sustainability has always been there wow so i think that's i didn't we probably have like five years between us but again the world has changed in the last five years even just during the pandemic a lot of brands i know folded whereas mine did quite well because i think people were like with brexit as well it's made in england it's sustainable Mm -hmm. why shouldn't i i'm I'm saving a lot of money by not commuting let me buy something i'm gonna wear forever and all that i have seen changes myself in the last five years so that's really good to know as well that you've come through a completely different system than I did. It also shows how quick things can change. Exactly. So there's hope. As consumers as well, I think like you were saying, during the pandemic, people kind of started to switch their eye more into things that they actually need because mm-hmm. we weren't going anywhere. So there's no need to be doing like... An outfit a week and then you bin the dress afterwards, which I never did, by the way, but I know people do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we speak a lot about how quickly things can change and how fast things mm-hmm. can grow. For you, where do you see we are can growing in the next five to ten years? It's hard because with an ethical brand, I don't have goals of like having a billion dollar business, if that makes sense. I have goals of having a business that just continues to educate, inspire and sticks by its values. So for me, five, ten years, that's what I still want we are kin to be, whether it's more global than it is, even though we do ship internationally and all of that, but I just I still want the brand to stand by you know, that core foundation that I've laid for it, whether it's in my hands or someone else's, I don't know. (laughs) But I just think it's important that ethical brands stay ethical because you see it a lot of times where you love something and then it's bought by the bad guys and then certain things start changing. And for you too, Deborah, where do you see Last John growing and how do you see Dead Stop fabric growing in the industry it's interesting actually PLV and I working on our business plan at the moment so we're looking at all of this now and I mean I suppose hopefully you know some stage running out but there's a huge amount of dead stock for the short term that what we would like to do is just start transitioning people from making to using what's in existence for now and I would think that's going to take a lot more than five years us to run through the resources we actually have but eventually I suppose it's innovation are there soil to soil fabrics that really can have benefits both to the human body and to the planet both in actually the production of them and in their end of life that's something that we're really excited about and eventually want to kind of be part of and be investing in in some capacity but you know really for the immediate term I think there's so much out there it's really like trying to localize these resources and what we see is building out the local marketplace here so that you know we have a British last yarn and then eventually having like a local European equivalent and a local potentially an Asian equivalent because there's lots of brands that we're speaking to in the UK that have fabrics that are sitting in China or have fabrics that are sitting in Portugal and we don't want to bring those back here but we would like to make those available to young startups in Asia or young startups in Portugal so I guess it's trying to localize in a global way what we're doing and really make it a resource that is useful in in, in a lot of ways and seeing where that takes us I'm, I'm sure that five years is going to fly by in a way and then eventually being part of a positive future where things aren't what they are right now and there is legislation and people are held to account and you know when they're not held to account hopefully if they can't get in line then they cease to exist in reality would be much better for us all. That's really interesting how you were saying about sourcing locally i think that's something that people forget especially with like you're talking about end of the line fabrics 
and you're talking about different countries, people might necessarily just think, oh, let's just ship it. But you forget that shipping is such a significant impact on the environment. And it's not as simple as just ship it. You know, it's like source locally that is so much more important. Every action has a reaction and you really have to think about it. Um, last year, I was part of Cambridge University's sustainability cohort and we discussed a lot about this, like different types of companies and brands. So we're going back and forth about all these different actions that we can take and they can actually be quite negative. <laughs> and also just the UN 17, I think, sustainability goals is... No one can be 100% sustainable, by the way, but you can choose what you really want to focus, grow on that, grow on to the next, grow on the next and keep going because it's, it's an ever-evolving journey, but that should make it fun and interesting as opposed to daunting. Definitely. Do you see slow fashion and sustainability having a secure future in fashion or do you think that brands are now going through the motions because lots of people are talking about it? So the optimist in me sees that slow fashion was something that was going on until around the 90s. Your grandparents would have clothes made and wear them for like years and years and years and probably even pass them down to you. Whereas in the 90s onwards, the rise of fashion, like kind of made fashion, it devalued it. So basically before you'd pay, let's say, £13 for a dress, right? And that would be about 114 today's money. But you would wear that dress every summer, every exercise all the time and dig it out. Whereas now we don't do that. We will spend still £13, let's say, on a dress <laughs> where it wants, throw it in the bin. And then it ends up, you know, in the global like south. And then it's in Cantamata Market or wherever else causing problems somewhere else in the world. So slow fashion existed before it was slow fashion. And for a very long time, we were able to do that. But the realist in me sees that unless we seriously legislate these things, brands will just rebrand a little bit, have a conscious collection here, 75% recycled polyester t-shirt there, and then call it a day. And so that's why, for me, it goes back to legislation and education. If we as consumers say we're not buying XYZ, they will kowtow to what we want. We can change the industry if we want to, but they're not going to do it off their own backs because they're making billions. 100% influencers, I think they have such a big impact on this and you know if people see that if influencers are buying fast fashion who cares like we should be doing that too let's follow those trends and it's really interesting because for example youtubers comments you know when people do hauls and stuff there will be those you know sustainable mm -hmm. people in the comments mm -hmm. being like what are you doing i can't believe you're following this and you're supporting this and you're promoting this and they just ignore it and just pretend like that's not a problem and but they'll read other comments and like yeah. other comments. But if like, all of their, let's say, 100,000 followers were asking these same questions, they would change what they're yeah. producing. Because right now I'm wearing a Topshop coat I got from my friend a few years ago. So she'd had it for a few years, wanted to check it out. I took it from her. And I've had to replace the lining because it was literally falling apart. <laughs> like in the arholes, all these different areas. And this is like a fake leather so this won't biodegrade if it goes mm, into the yeah. soil. It will be here long after I'm gone and probably after my children are gone, if that makes sense. And so as consumers or as people who are taking this content in really speak truth to power, they have no choice but to listen to us. But that influencer would have been paid X amount. Yeah, to, exactly. It's and money. also what they now do with fast fashion is they'll wear a head-to-toe fast fashion outfit and then have a designer shoe or a designer bag. And then people see that as something to aspire to. Whereas yeah. they could have spent the money that they spent on an outfit having, you know, four or five pieces that will last forever. It's important. It is a very beautiful snake mm. skin coat you're wearing, by the way. Thanks. But even for me, I was actually having this conversation with my mum. We were talking about the quality of things. Mm -hmm. And I look at her collection of shoes and it's like, when does that mentality change from seeing when you're younger? And I used to know, look at the stuff my mum has and go, like, one day I'm going to wear that yeah. or I'll have that to... We just want to buy and get rid. And I think it starts with us changing our mm -hmm. mindset as well and being like, you know, there's no need for you to have this outfit and throw them away. And I know there's some influencers that will then say, oh, well, I'm going to sell this on to people. And then they start a Depop. And I think people kind of have to realise as well, if you have subscribed to fast fashion, it doesn't mean just still throw it away. but. Yeah try and Keep hold on it to it forever absolutely yeah. Yeah. like i'm saying this jacket she probably has it's probably about 10 years old she's had it now i've got it and you know i'll keep repairing it for as long as i can <laughs> and also i think if we have real value for fashion it will mean more so i'm a luxury girl i love 
fashion. I've been inhaling fashion since I was seven years old. We can go back to like, we can talk about like McQueen's like 90s collections and I'll be here like for hours. But I really do value the pieces I have. So I finally bought a pair of Manolos last year at some point. I've wanted these since I was 18. And I was finally like, you know, it's my birthday. I'm going to get these shoes. And these, my daughter's going to wear them. It's going to go on and on and on. It's buy pieces you love and you'll wear forever. And that is like, I think the first thing, but also the most ethical closet is what you already own, whether it's fast fashion or not. That's very true, yeah. Definitely. And I think as well, we talk about how fashion is changing in terms of fabric and holding Mm -hmm. on to things, but also fashion is changing in terms of it's becoming more digital. Mm -hmm. And Goni, for you, I noticed that on your website, you've now used 3D silhouettes to present your clothing. How did you get into making your website more digital and make that switch? How was that for you? It came quite easily. So each season I've just always used two models or one model. And I thought I really want women to be able to see themselves in my pieces. And so using 3D avatars could have two different sizes. So we've got a small size and we've got a larger size. And I think that in itself is big on the inclusivity it's also sustainable because I've not had to make clothes for just like models for a shoot and then not know what to do with these two different sizes that aren't my size and it just makes sense for me it's fashion forward but it's also quite cool to look at and that's another thing with sustainability is we need to let people know that it's cool to care it's cool to like be forward thinking and yeah so 3d fashion and it's I just think it's the next big thing in whatever way you make it so for me it's using it for avatars as opposed to selling nfts I might do nfts I don't know I need to figure out what they are first (laughs) but for the website I think it just works really well and it's quite impactful in that way. Deborah and for you do you see Last John stepping into that digital realm to you know how you sell your fabric absolutely i mean i think definitely we want to have avatar we we have so we have so many ideas but one of them is that we'd like to have the ability for someone like Bonnie to come onto our site upload their design and see that design come alive in the fabric and also get their costings you know figure out whether they're ordering the right amount so they can actually see everything there and then on the screen so that when they're ordering their meterage that they're, they're not over ordering or under ordering as well and they can really get a sense of how the fabric's going to drape and, and look that's something that we're working on and eventually would like to be able to potentially plug into a website like Goni's and have her customers be able to order their pieces and the fabric just gets cut and shipped straight to either Goni or to her seamstresses and gain streamlining that process digitally would be lovely so we got we got a lot of a lot of digital build out in the work actually that we want to do and that we plan to do over the coming year year and a half but definitely I think any ways that we we are a digital first platform anyway obviously but I think any ways that we can kind of use that to solve waste and also make designers lives easier is is amazing it's wonderful and I'm with you Goni I have no idea what NFTs are but (laughs) definitely we'll be selling them when when we figure that out as well <laughs> and just to add on Deborah's point, obviously she's speaking to someone who's also been a designer, so she can really see this whole process through. And that's why I think it's important when we are legislating or having these conversations with people who are making these laws, they need to have people like Deb in the room. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes legislation and rules and whatever else is put into place by people who aren't actually actively in the industry, have only done one role in the industry and Sorry, just kind of going off on a tangent, but I just like just hearing her talk. I was like, yes, because she understands all of this because she's been in my shoes and is in my shoes too. I was just thinking about how it's really interesting what Deborah was saying, and um, when Ilya asked the question to Deborah, I was trying to think what would they mm. what would they use it for? What would an end of line fabric company use? And there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it reminds me of like when you were a child and you used to use those games where you dress up and yeah. you design oh, clothes. Yeah. It's the, it's the same type of idea, and I, I really like it. Yeah, I love those yeah. felt things that you used to like put the, layer the felts on top <laughs> of each other. <laughs> That's the great thing about something being digital is you can manipulate it into any way that your business needs and produce lots of different outcomes that way. So you were just saying as well that it's really important for newer people in the industry to have those role models and people there. So. What's the best advice for you as a designer that you think you could give someone new coming into the industry? I do a lot of talks to universities and young people and I'm always like, don't go into fashion. (laughs) But if you're going to go into fashion, it's going to be a lot of work. You're going to hemorrhage a lot of money and you're going to just need a really long, strong support system. So that's what I always say is make sure you're going into the industry in whatever arena you're going into with your eyes open. Because I chose this knowing what I was going to go do. So when I have those moments of like, 
something's missing or I've been using this supply now they've run out and did it all these different like stresses that come in with my job I was very much prepared for them so for me it's just if you're going to go into fashion make sure you really research what arena you're going into know the good and the bad and make an informed decision (laughs) I don't know if that's advice or a warning to be (laughs) fair but I love what I do and I'm happy every day if that makes sense it's just be realistic okay so go into it with your eyes open be realistic and then also just work bloody hard I was going to say I feel like when you're going into the fashion industry you really have to be passionate about it is something that even when you're applying to uni or you listen to people's advice online, they're like, be passionate about yeah. it. It's not something that you can just do yeah. on a whim. You have to want to do it. Because even the bits I hate in terms of being a designer, I still love, if that exactly, makes sense. Yeah. It's really great that we are kin as well. You really hone in the point of it being inclusive. And I think mm-hmm. that's important as well, because I think it allows more people to continue their love of fashion yeah. and be sustainable with it which I think is hard because sustainability that doesn't include everyone is not sustainable it's not you can't tell me you're an ethical label and you're just not catering to people I don't get it does that make sense yeah it's very limiting yeah because I had to learn how to draft patterns for plus size women but I did it because I wanted to do it because it's important if I'm going to say I'm sustainable I think in sustainability there should be inclusivity i mean if you don't have inclusivity then you're limiting such a significant percentage of the population to being able to purchase sustainable clothing and and they buy my pieces they will buy every single piece (laughs) that's all their friends to buy and i love all of my customers but i think for me if you're a brand with the capability to provide for i just i just don't understand why you wouldn't do it Mm -hmm. I completely agree because like for me I really hate when I see a piece and I mm-hmm. want to send it to someone mm-hmm. and then like you go into the next size and it looks completely different mm-hmm. and it's like well That's very true too, yeah. why can't the pieces look the same yeah because I'm speaking on women because that's who I can speak for we all want to look good whether you're a size I don't know four or a size 24 you want to look good you want to feel good and we want to be sexy we want to be fun we want to be all the different things we can be so you can't just have like sexy clothes for straight size women yeah. and then have like plus women in like smocks and if they want smocks and you go girl <laughs> but that's yeah. yeah I agree and Deborah for you what's some uh, advice that you would give to people I definitely would heed <laughs> Gunny's warning <laughs> I would say don't do it but if you're going to do it just make sure you do it the way she's doing it and do it with a purpose if you're going to make stuff make things that have a purpose a reason for being again like when she's talking about catering for plus size women there's a huge reason for being there they've been marginalized from the fashion industry in general but also marginalized from the sustainability conversation it comes back to the people and planet thing you can't really have one without the other and if you're not taking care of people it's transparency it's taking ownership of what you're doing and, and doing it in the best possible way. My advice is, is, is pretty similar to Gunny's. I, I, I would say don't do it. If, if it's all you can do, if it's all you know and all you love and what you're passionate about and drives you every day, which I think is, is the case for both of us, then do it, but try and do it with a purpose. Mm. I think that's sound advice. Thank you both for coming on. It's been a really great conversation, you know, talking about fabrics and growth and where sustainability can go we do need more brands like we are kin that brings everybody back together and yeah subscribe to the idea of people and planet and deborah as well thank you for coming on and talking to us about this stock fabrics and thank you everyone for listening to this episode and just a final note sorry but i just feel like we are kin like us and the planet we're all one and so we really have to start thinking more of each other that is a beautiful sentiment Tendon. hello and welcome to the reflection section in the clean fashion podcast you're here with rihanna armina and alia today and we are going to reflect on the conversation we just had with goni and deborah so what are you guys' initial thoughts on the conversation you just had? I liked how they were both very passionate about what they do. I think passion is very important. I mean, I said it on the podcast as well when we were recording. I think passion is very, very important in the fashion industry. If you don't have passion and passion about the right things as well, yeah, then you're not necessarily going to get very far in a good way anyway. Yeah, and, you know, I love how they brought legislation 
into the conversation. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And I think it's an aspect we don't always talk a lot about, maybe because there's a lack of it. Yeah, it's definitely needed. They apply some pressure to the big brands too, you know. They actually do need to act. And it would have been nice if big brands can do it out of the goodness of their heart. But definitely we need those policies in place so that people actually start to take sustainability more seriously. And Amina, like you were saying, influencers still influence for fast fashion brands. But there are so many sustainable options out there that they could influence for instead. And hopefully they start to listen to. And how you were saying about the fast fashion brands and about how Connie was saying legislation is needed for them to actually make a change. There are companies who do seem to be changing and they're not, I don't think they're necessarily doing it out of the kindness of the hearts. I think they're doing it because that's what's making a profit right now. That's mm. what's in yeah, right now. Commodity. Yeah, sustainability is something that is a trend right now. It's something that people are moving towards. And obviously companies catch on to that and they adjust. And that's why legislation is so important because their conscious lines and whatnot, they're limited, firstly, mm-hmm. and they're not legislated. So... Where's the line of where it's actually sustainable? There is no proof that it's actually sustainable, really. It's just them saying it is. We talk about it a lot as a team. We talk about how greenwashing is a very big thing. And a lot of brands, those buzzwords that we were talking about, recycled or eco, stuff like that. Some consumers are literally just eating it up because they think, okay, this is a brand I've trusted. And I talk a lot about inclusivity. They think, oh, it's a brand I'm used to buying from. I know it's not necessarily great, but they're saying to me they're doing something good. So if I just buy from this range, I'm not helping them in the bad that they do. When really you are, you know, you really do have to look into what you're buying and hold on to those pieces. Don't throw them away and love them. And I loved Connie's story about buying the Manolo shoes because when you save and you see high fashion pieces that you've wanted for a really long time, I feel like you're more inclined to hold on to them and love them. And we need to bring that mindset, not just with high fashion, but into your everyday clothes. If you love a pair of jeans, hold on to them, look after them, keep it for a long time. It shouldn't just be those pieces that you spent over £100 on. It should range across all the items of clothing that you have. And going on what you were saying, Aaliyah, I think it's a shame how there are consumers who want to make a change and want to make a difference mm. and they unfortunately look to the wrong places they look to the fast fashion companies who are somewhat changing or seem to be changing with their greenwashing lies <laughs> and i think if people are really educated on the topic and go to companies like we are kin then we can actually make a significant difference as a society for you rihanna what was one of your takeaways from today's episode I was going to say the same thing that you just said about how Goni was talking about the shoes. Um, Manolo, I think, Manolo it's, I think it's Manolo think Planet, is the designer. Stuff like that is very far away from me in the actual way I live my life because like, I never really buy into like lots of fashion because I always deem it inaccessible already because it's not what I'm familiar with. That passion that Goni had for why she was so excited to finally have purchased something that she was coveting since she was like 18 shows like the importance of loving the things that you purchase and like the actual personal connection you do have with garments and pieces and why that's important when you buy clothing and how that's not reflected through fast fashion really and how things are consumed in the industry right now and the thing is legislation does permit greenwashing because people and brands don't care enough to like be specific about what goes into the clothes and the science of it and the dangers of it and the ethics of it because it's not an important value they don't love it or the things that they wear enough It's interesting to see how those things connect. These things are interconnected, like the love that you have for clothing and how that leads to policies and legislation. The small things, how people attach to things and connected to such a big concept and picture. Like, I think that's so interesting. 
another big point for me that I was really relating to was when Deborah was talking about how the industry is shut. I don't want to use the term plus size, but plus size people, people that, you know, aren't those standard high fashion sizes out of the sustainability window in terms of clothing. And I think it's really important to go back into that part of the conversation because there are a lot of people that, like you were saying as well, Amna, they want to buy into sustainable clothing and they want to be more ethical and they want to be able to be a part of that change. But it's very hard. And lots of people don't know where to look for clothes. And if you go on Instagram, the first thing you get in your face is Pretty Little Thing or Fashion Over and those brands like that. I haven't heard of that name for a while, Fashion Nova. I know. I don't think they're, they're, they're not doing enough promotions for that. <laughs> good. You know, it's because you're not subscribed. That's a good thing. Not, not that I am. I try not to. I'm, tra- I'm changing, guys. I am changing. But yeah, those are the types of names that you see. And then when you try and look for a sustainable brand, I know I've spoken about it before on the podcast. I've looked at more sustainable brands. And then you look and you kind of see your style and the type of clothing you want to wear and then you go onto their website and you go to look at their sizing and it stops at a 12 and then you go okay mm-hmm. so then it's it's the thought process after that and it's actually it's perseverance I guess to keep looking at different brands and to keep going to find pieces that you are going to love and are going to want to keep but like you were saying the average person doesn't have that time to be scrolling and searching Mm -hmm. for those brands and I guess as well we touched a little bit on how the fashion industry is becoming more digital and hopefully I would like to think that will minimize that happening because if you're just allowed to search maybe a pattern and then you can just see an inclusive range rather than specific designers I think that would be a lot better for everyone and it also would allow sustainable brands to have more of a spotlight rather than these brands that we keep seeing or brands that are bigger that can pay to have TV ads or be in fashion magazines. It takes everyone to put the work in for those changes to happen. Following up from what you were saying, people would give up if they can't find Mm. what they want. And that's a problem because if you're being conscious and you're caring, but then you're trying to make the effort and it's just, you're stopped in your tracks. And yeah. it's easier to, it is much easier to shop fast fashion. And I think another thing is, is style with sustainable companies and sustainable brands, maybe because they're trying to be timeless like we are kin, but your style is, can be limited and you might not find what you want and what you're looking for. Mm. And there are so many styles out there, whereas fast fashion, they cater to everything. And I yeah. think that's a- another important thing to consider in terms of inclusivity. And I think fast fashion hits maybe for some people that idea of it's quick there's the next day delivery it's cheaper it can be on trend for you so many appealing things about it (laughs) what we are kin does really well is that they look at the timelessness of their clothes are you going to want to wear it in 10 years are you going to want to pass this piece of clothing down and also they again inclusivity you know everyone wants to feel beautiful in what they're wearing and I think for me that's a big thing where fast fashion misses they don't incorporate everyone into their styles and everyone should feel beautiful and confident in what they're wearing but again not to hone on about inclusivity but I think that's a part of the market that's really missing is in a lot of the pieces you find you you settle because you've been disheartened you've been searching for hours you can't find anything you've now settled on this website you're just gonna buy it because it's a lot cheaper it's better than paying 100 200 pound on something you're not sure is gonna fit because if you're investing in buying a garment for 100 200 however much money you have to really love it because it has to be something you want to wear again it has to be something that you're not going to just leave at the back of your closet when you're buying fast fashion and it's like "Mm, i kind of like it the investment's not that much, so it's okay and you don't feel necessarily as guilty as you should for leaving it in the back of your closet. But mm. if you're spending a significant amount of money on it on your items, then you're going to be more careful with what you buy. 
Yeah. And making sure that you're going to wear it more than once. Yeah, that's why inclusivity is so important. And that's why we're talking about it at length right now. That's why it's good that we do have these conversations. So the brands making these clothes know to make clothes that include everybody. It's not fair that there's a big subsection of people on mainstream fashion brands that aren't included. That's where the shoe industry, in some ways, not in terms of sustainability, but with shoes, everybody can buy a pair of shoes. If you wanted to buy a designer pair of shoes and spend money, once you say your size, they're going to fit. And like that story I was telling Goni earlier, like with my mum as well, she grew up on her mum using Vogue patterns and making their clothes and they would swap between her and her sisters or my aunties, obviously. But um, they would, you know, swap clothes, look at different patterns and pick the fabric and go through that process of just because the item that you want to love isn't there yet doesn't mean it can't be created. I think that's what's really good as well with what Last John does with providing dead stock fabric is there are fabrics out there that you might see in a big brand or a high-end label and you think, oh, I really love that pattern. Like, I, I think that happens a lot with people. Oh, I really love that pattern, but it's not on the type of top you would wear or type of print or yeah yeah. anything but then if there were more places like last john that all these leftover pieces of fabric you never know what you can find for you know you might go on their website and see that pattern and then create an item that you'd love and i feel like you'd love it even more because you've taken that time to pick it and go through that and i feel like we do have to go backwards to go forwards that idea of learning to love our stuff again taking time with it and it comes with understanding where your garments come from as well who made this who sewed it together those types of things you know it all goes into the thought process it makes you feel a lot more at ease when you're wearing it I feel like that would add to the beauty of you wearing it because not only do you look good in it but the fabric is good and it's gone through a good process and there's no negatives towards it so yeah you know you just love it even more I think if the supply chain was so transparent with names and with countries that it's been at and I think that would make the garment even more interesting and more lovable as you were saying I think that would be a really cool idea I'm sure there's some company out there that does that I mean there's companies like Lush for example I mean it's not clothing that say this was made by X person but I haven't heard of any clothing brands to do that no and do you know what I feel like in the fashion industry I think when you have a brand, it becomes an ego thing, becomes all about the name on the label, which is fair enough. Designers work hard to have your name on a label, but at the same time, so do your manufacturers, so do all the people that help you to get to those steps. So transparency is needed. And I feel like if people started to step away from that ego thing of my name needs to be on it, then it would be a lot easier and people need to start thinking about there are other people that were part of the process and highlighting those people as well but to be honest they can have their name on it still as like the company name like a care label they could have an equivalent of a supply chain label yeah definitely yeah yeah definitely there's so many solutions to that but, but they all just go on that one label or people knowing that one name but a lot of the high end brands they're owned by a conglomerate that you wouldn't know but they're still big names and they still do things in their own right. There's good in being transparent in where things come from. And it adds to the story of a garment we've spoken about before. That story of a garment, your wedding dress. And we were kind of talking about, would you be happy if your wedding dress was biodegradable? <laughs> I was saying no, because I'm a sentimental person. So I really love to hold on to things. And I guess in a sense, I've never really thought about it much in terms of clothing. But I love that idea of being able to pass down something or tell the story that comes with it. And that should start in the manufacturing as well. Mm-hmm. Every item of clothing goes through a story, it goes through a journey. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we should all be told that. What you said about how fashion links to, with big brands, like just wanting one name on something to sell it, in order to sell it, it really does take away the sincerity and the truth of what goes into the product and 
what the honest thing is if individualism and capitalism weren't such important values to many of these companies then you know that wouldn't be the case so I think that links to my next question what does we are kin mean to you because I think that's a really powerful name to have a clothing brand be called for me I would say when I always take kin out it's probably the word that sticks out to me because you think of kinship you think of family you think of a bond yeah all those sentimental feelings I guess and I think Goni reflects that really well in her brand as well in the sense that the relationship she's built with her manufacturers the relationship she builds with the fabric her process of starting with the fabric and working backwards to then produce a beautiful design and that outcome I think it all flows in building a bond and a relationship and again being passionate about it I feel like if you weren't passionate about fabrics or about clothing maybe looking at a dead stock piece of fabric or a fabric that you can see might not be as vibrant as it once was it might be hard to kind of see the vision for it but I think you have those good working relationships with people around you it's easy to then build something bigger than just your brand because now not only are you sustainable but that manufacturer is taking part in being more sustainable if you have supporting people making the garments they're part of the process but you're helping everyone else to see how they can do more and bringing them into that journey and that family with you I honestly think a similar thing to how Goni sees it as like a collective rather than an individual I think that's the sentiment she's trying to like bring into her passion project which is clothing and I think it's really important that she has that established through the name itself and through the entire company and what they represent. I think I agree with everything Aliyah said. I think it's a, a good summarization of what it means. And I also, I think, Last Yarn has a similar idea. Mm. I think a lot of these sustainable and small companies have that idea of, of kinship and family and working closely with manufacturers and the whole supply chain. Mm. I love how when it comes to sustainability, the words that you wouldn't see as being super positive are the words and the businesses that have the most positive impact. Like last yarn, you think of, oh, the last thing, like it's at the very end, but it's not at the end. In fact, it's at its beginning mm-hmm. of starting a new process of being something new. Exactly. I think that's a truest beauty about it as well, like transforming language that we typically use in like ways to sell products usually that's not the type of word you want to use to sell a product and is being used to show us that we can buy into things that are on its last breath recreate and create with those same things i can't wait for fast fashion and slow fashion to be swapped on their heads and for people to look at them in the opposite way because I think people see slow fashion and they go but I'm I'm not going to have it now and I'm not going to have what I want now where really and truly you're probably getting what you want and better because nobody sets out to buy any item of clothing and think you know what I really want it to fall apart or I want it to have a small minute hole or the fabric not to be of good quality. You want quality, you want good things and you should want to pay a fair price for them and those are all the things that slow fashion ticks. It needs to be replaced now. It's time that people stop looking at fast fashion as the right thing and see it as the wrong thing. Let their own attitudes and ideas about the world and what they need and what they want transform before their eyes. I think that's what we're doing here by having this podcast and having these discussions with these important people to lead the change that we need to see. I was just going to kind of talk about NFTs really quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I think (laughs) NFTs are always included in the conversation because I I feel like people will be very confused by it. From my understanding, it's like NFTs can be digital art or digital things that you can sell and you just keep selling it to people. And that's how you make money from it, something like that. So to break that down into fashion sense, someone could design a top, which you could then either use on avatars or wear 
on yourself in pictures. And you're the only person that owns it. That's what makes yeah. it non-fungible. Yeah. You're the only person with the certification. And the certification, the receipt is like some database that like only you have access to. And it's like some weird crypto thing in the cryptoverse. Sounds, yeah, I was going to say it sounds yeah. like crypto stuff. Yeah, to be quite honest, I probably need to sit down and have a look at what this actually all properly means because there's so many new concepts and ideas that we get introduced to and then it's really hard to keep up, especially in the fashion industry because we're always how many years behind when trying to learn and incorporate things. I think it's really interesting when you bring NFTs into fashion because like within the art industry, it's already becoming a very controversial topic because people don't really want art to be a commodity even though for many people that's how they get their money so people will like sell their art as an nft to get that money even though it contributes to ideas of art being disingenuous in our age and time and i don't think fashion is the same in that respect because fashion has always been something for us to buy into lots of times fashion is done for art purposes but like most in most contexts it is used for us to buy into so i don't see nfts and digital fashion as like an actual issue but it would be interesting to engage with people who would see it as like a bad thing or something like that yeah we've touched on many intriguing topics many points of discussion that i hope will remain and dwell in your thoughts this has been Kalechi's reflection section. Thank you for listening.